Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam from the Back Patio Network, and as most of the time, I'm joined by... Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. I guess now that I think about it, I'm always joined by you, but you're hardly joined by me. Well, I'm not always. I mean, I'm That's most of 99 times out of 100. And I, th- I feel like for the last couple months, I've been like, hey, I'm working on this extra filler episode on School Briefs number two, and I still haven't gotten around to doing it. But I'm close. It's just been, listen, let's be honest. Like the school briefs books aren't exactly the, the most thrilling reads ever. Um, they're, not, <laughs> they're not the kind of page turners that I'm used to sitting down and consuming in, uh, in rapid succession. So, um, but I'm, I'm almost done noting it out. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to sit down and, and bang that out. You so it is coming. You're not going to like uh, midnight releases or anything? No, no. Um, I have, though, already read um, Smash Volume Number 3, um, which is super fun. So. I think those were a good good time. I like the Smash volumes. Yeah, we need to get you up on that so we can do a top ten. Or was it two? I don't remember. We we've we've done an episode on one, possibly two of those smashes. I forget. Um, but those I are think super we've fun. Just to read. done one, but those were really fun. I, I would like to do another one of those. Well, perhaps either I'm not as far ahead as I think that I am. But regardless, you're you're definitely behind. We need to catch you I up am. on Smash. Smash, yes. super fun. Beats the crap Ooh. out of school briefs for quality and entertainment sake <laughs> we only have like 20 more issues of uh, vigilantes before we're, we're caught up so we're gonna have to find something i guess we'll have the show too uh but you know we're getting there we're almost caught up on on my hero stuff yep we're, we're getting back to that point where we're twiddling our thumbs and anxiously awaiting the next thing um but hopefully i know that uh by the time the anime rolls around and that becomes our main focus that we'll have some new stuff coming down the pipelines like the uh, team up volumes that have been announced uh, we, we can always fall back on, on smash volumes. I think there's four or five of those out now. So, and there, again, we always have the fallback of, uh, of ties and socks from uh, hot topic. So <laughs> that's I, true. I don't think we're going to be dredging to the bottom of that. Well, quite yet, but, uh, no. yeah, we're, we're, we're catching back up as we've always been doing from, from the very beginning. We're, we're, we're consuming this quite rapidly. All of it. Absolutely. And enjoying and- most of it. Most. Yeah. Most of it. Uh, these next four chapters are probably not my favorite, uh, but they're not bad chapters. We're, we're looking at 67, 68, 69, and 70 today, and uh, they are very pop-centric. They are, and there's not a lot of what you and I typically like in My Hero, which is a, a lot of action, a lot of combat. Um, there, There's very little of that in these four chapters, but... Uh, while while that is true, I do appreciate some of the character development that takes place here, particularly because it involves good character development for female characters, which I don't know that my hero has like Horikoshi has done really well over the course of my hero proper. Very, that, you know, so I think that's a really fair point. Yeah, like I was talking to my wife about my hero before you and I started recording and we were talking about the personalities of the different female characters, and it's like, we really haven't gotten to know them that well. Like, when you kind of step back and think about it, it's like, I don't really know much about them past their quirks, and like, the one or two times they've had to step up to the plate or they didn't, you know? Yeah, you get a little bit on, like, you know, Jiro during the uh, the school festival. We got a little bit of glimpse into her history and her struggle with how she's going to be hero and... Like, it's little bits here and there, but there hasn't been a ton. Popstep gets a lot of attention in these four chapters, maybe more than any single female in all of My Hero proper. So I feel like that's yeah. a step in the right direction. So uh, that, that's good for what it is. Um, now, this isn't Horikoshi, of course. Uh, this is this is based on his concept, uh, but this is not written by him. Uh, I don't know that we say this very frequently, if at all, but it's by uh, Hideyeko Furuhashi, um, and, his, and Betancourt is the artist, I believe. So... Uh, this is a whole different set of creators doing something very different that I think is a missing piece. Uh, I feel like they're filling a, a very large hole in the My Hero fandom with these four chapters. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Well, let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, episode 67 is named Dinner. I have, uh, again, Volume Nine's not out in the U.S., um, so I've got this up on the wiki, and it says that this chapter is professional forward slash international forward slash spicy curry. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's what it says. Okay, all right. It's a mouthful. <laughs> that is a mouthful. But it does kind of lead us right into 67 because it starts off with Miss Mikado right back in action. Like After we left off these last four chapters, I really didn't expect to see her again anytime soon. 
And the fact that she was the first person in this, you know, chapter was like, oh, well, all right, we're right back where we were. <laughs> but she is uh, on television. She's become very popular over in the U.S. because of her, I guess, uh, oh, questionable ethics book that she has put out about hero sociology. There are a lot of folks that don't agree with it or don't like it, and it's causing her to be very popular. Uh, and this was just what she wrote her college paper on and then turned it into a book, I guess, because it was so controversial. Yeah, and she's kind of on a talk show and is being not not raked across the coals necessarily, but um, is being questioned. You know, she says some authorities argue that writing about hero society while marketing a real life hero isn't fair in an academic sense. So what do you say to that criticism? And she's like, uh, yeah, that's accurate. Like, just as they suggest, I've got a, you know, a foot in both both sides of this world uh, and I'm not an ap- academic per se. And she's just like, so what? Who cares? Nobody can escape the biases that come from the era that they live in and their socioeconomic background. So she's just owning it. She's like, look, I see both sides of this because I inhabit both sides of this particular topic. Yeah, but she's like, why would that disqualify me from writing on either of them? I mean, she's very straightforward about the fact that, you know, she's got a bit of an advantage here. Yeah, and she's just like, what comes next? You know, the the response to what I've written and some of the critiques that she has laid out in this paper turned into a book is up to the next generation. So she says, uh, if I can leave behind even a tiny footprint in the history of sociology, well, it'll be my absolute honor to do so. She's just trying to um, have a legacy, you know, leave a little bit of an imprint, um, get, get people to think about what the status quo is and be thinking about whether that should then be the actual status quo or if things need to change. Um, that, that I feel is kind of the gauntlet that she's thrown um, at, the, at the feet of the society. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you're definitely on there. And we kind of zoom out from this like TV show and we see that there are a group of girls watching it on a laptop. And one of those is Pop, the other me, you, and then you and the, uh, the dancers. It's the folks from the Nauru Fest. And uh, they are trying to plan for their next big festival, but it's not going so well. I mean, it turns out that after Mikado left, things kind of died down. Uh, they they said that their last event didn't even get much of an audience at all. And they've got this little clip of like pop up on stage and maybe like two or three people attending and everyone else just walking by. Uh, so due to that, their budget has been slashed and they're trying to figure out what they're even going to do. And not only that, but most of the people, or some of them at least, the X-Men, aren't even able to show up anymore to help out. So their cheer squad's not going to be there because they're in school and fully employed. One of them's a part-timer. So things are getting a little bit stressful at the, uh, the Nauru Fest. Yeah, they, they've had their budget slashed. They were cut back uh, to a monthly schedule. They're about to find out that it's even worse than that here shortly. But they're trying to figure out who's, who's even still involved anymore. Because one of the ideas is, uh, you know, Pop's like, what can we do to grow this audience and of of course i think this is the dance team they're just like we just need to train you know um yeah. <laughs> we need to get that's what we need to do we just need to apply ourselves harder um and but then they the the leader of the band and also the leader of the dance team are kind of off doing their own thing um be, with their you know little relationship so you know the the conversation turns around to i think this is uh miyu she says sorry i got a date so i gotta slip out early you know they're trying to have this meeting and people are bailing left and right yeah and uh it's funny because pop kind of starts to get onto her like hey come on please take this seriously like we we're trying to plan this event like everyone's ditching and she just stops miyu and says well speaking of uh things you know how are things between you and koichi and Pop is immediately like, what are you talking about? I'm not sure what you mean. And and the girls are like, oh, come on, don't don't play it up. Like, if you don't jump on that, he's going to move on. He's going to go on with his life and you're going to be alone. Like, where are you going to be in a couple of years? We're all moving on. Are you not going to? And it really throws Pop for a loop. I mean, she is like seriously considering, like, what have I been doing with my life? Yeah, and the girls, everybody else seems to be thinking about what comes next. Uh, but Pop Pop is very much living in the now. She she feels very invested in this uh, Marukane Mall uh, performance that they put on, and everybody seems to be bailing on it. She is, you know, I, when I was a kid, my and my mom was teaching me how to ride a bike. Uh, I would get in trouble because I was always running into her back tire with my front tire. Yeah, and she just came to find out that instead of looking ahead, I was just looking straight down at my front tire. Like I was just caught up in where I was in any get one given moment. 
Not uh, where you were going, yeah. Yeah, and, and so Pop is in this place where she's staring at that front tire. Um, and e- even in this panel where she kind of lifts her eyes and starts thinking about what might be coming next, she quickly, she, and this happens multiple times over the course of these four chapters, she, she quickly snatches her head back down. You know, she doesn't want to deal with what's coming up because she, she has a lot of feelings wrapped up with Koichi, but she is not prepared to deal with them or doesn't want to deal with them or just kind of hopes that maybe he makes uh, a move to to deal with them, you know, and takes the initiative. I don't know, but she's she's definitely not in uh, the initiative taking mode or mood. Well, she is lucky because the manager bursts through the door and interrupts her thought process, so she doesn't have to try and think about this anymore. Uh, he is late to the meeting, and it turns out that the folks up above are <laughs> just going to go ahead and cancel next month's Naru Fest entirely. They're not cancel the next one, but cancel all of them entirely. He is. They're going to just totally be done with the entire department. You know, they they're like, eh. We don't need this anymore. And he feels bad because he couldn't sway them one way or another. And of course, the girls are probably thinking like, well, if it was Mikado, they would have immediately saved this. There wouldn't have been an issue. Uh, But it seems like this guy just doesn't really hold up to that flame. Like he kind of pales in comparison to Mikado. Yeah, and he's very apologetic about it. And what's really funny to me, at least as I read this, is I think this is Miyu again, is she's just like, all right, this is just this is just confirmation of me checking out. Maybe this is the end. I'm not really complaining. I'll see you guys at next week meeting. So they functionally accomplished nothing at this meeting. <laughs> yeah. Um, which like I could totally relate with. I've been in so many meetings in my entire life where nothing seemed to be accomplished, but yet we established another one. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah the, the manager that storms in is just like, Hey, why not? Let's do this one big. You know, if this is going to be our last one, uh, last one, let's brainstorm some ideas. He's, he's offering to order pizza, but everybody again, just starts, uh, bailing. I mean, they're, they're ditching, they're, they're jumping off of this sinking ship. Even pop decides to just go ahead and head on out at this point. I mean, everybody is already leaving. What's the point of her staying around to plan an event that no one else is going to be there for. Uh, so she starts to slip out. The manager is like, Hey, you know, keep your spirits up until the end. You can do it. Just really kind of a passive message to her. I mean, it wasn't like he was trying to keep her from leaving or anything, but I think it definitely revolves around her head or, or just stays in her head throughout the rest of the day. Uh, and she starts to think about what she's going to do with Koichi. And she's like, you know, what if we just made him dinner? Or what if I just made him dinner? I'll, I'll just go over and make dinner. It's not a big deal. It's not like I'll suddenly make some big effort to start cooking for him all the time or anything. It's just once. And she's going through the supermarket and she's getting everything she needs to make a curry. And uh, it's funny, you know, poor girl, she like shows up to the the little hut, uh, the little like, we call it, I call it a hut, but it's the little um, the shipping trailer. Container. Yeah, the shipping the container. Hideout. Exactly. She shows up and she's all excited and she like bursts through the door, says it's me and tonight's dinner will be. And the moment she starts to say anything, uh, there she is, Mikado turns around and she's like, oh, hey, how you doing? So Pop is going to profess her love to Koichi and Mikado's there to to begin with, like in the first place. I think that happened last time, didn't it? Yeah, it's been more than once where she has kind of gotten to this place where she's amassed enough courage to do, to take one more step, you know, in that direction. And she keeps getting squashed or other obstacles arise. Um, Sometimes the obstacles come from within her, but this one is definitely external as, uh, like you say, Mikado's already there. And not only is Mikado uh, at Koichi's place, but she's already cooked the same dinner that pop step had planned to make for koichi and has done so that in in a way that even pop step finds impressive she's like this is the way that the restaurant makes it (laughs) i mean she's just like feels totally outclassed and outdone in every way i mean she's (laughs) she's talking later on about how like beautiful mikado is in comparison to herself so it's not even just the the dinner and the meal it's in every way that she feels she could even compare herself to mikado uh, but poor Koichi here, he just can't win. Like he starts to eat the curry that Mikado has made, and it is just too hot. And <laughs> there's this little scene of him where he's eating a bite, and his face crumples up, and he starts sweating, and it just says Koichi shut down. And then he's like laying on the floor after that. Yeah, the the curry doesn't set well with his stomach, and Mikado, excuse me, pops up, starts asking Mikado, you know, what what brings you back to Japan? And Mikado's like, you know, I've been, I'm kind of selling books a little bit. Everything seems to be pretty, pretty, uh, stable over with a captain celebrity. So I'll probably have somebody take over my duties over there so I can do and focus on what I want to do next. And, uh, then she asks pop how Naru fest is going. And, you know, she's, she's apologizing, uh, Mikado is for, for not having, you know, 
a little bit more influence uh, and impact on that thing that she helped them start. But Pop just kind of, she's she's feeling bashful, so she's just like, you know, we're, we're getting by. And she is struggling to just tell Mikado things aren't going well or that she needs help. Because, again, that places her in a position that is beneath Mikado in her own eyes. Um, and that's the place where she is trying to break free of. And not just relationally with Koichi, but also in her own uh, capabilities. Absolutely. I do think the weird thing in this scene, though, is like Koichi out of place almost says doing great, rolling along just fine with a little music tone at the bottom there. Well, he wasn't at that last meeting, so he doesn't. That's even fair. Know. <laughs> yeah. But that just kind of like goes to show you like no one showed up to those meetings. Why keep doing it? You know? <laughs> yeah. And Pop starts beating herself up on the way home. Um, you know, she calls herself an idiot and she's kind of mockingly quoting herself. Naru Fest isn't going so hot. Think you could help us out? You know, as she, she's dreaming, she's imagining all these things she should have she should have said uh, as she begins to make her way back uh, towards the uh, the the container on the roof. Um, I think she's again. This is another place where she has built up enough confidence to f- maybe finally go back and say what needs to be said. You know, bam, she yep. could she could save the show like she always does. But no, I had to save face. And so after she builds up this courage, she turns back to go back to this rooftop hideout. And when she looks through the window, she sees what for all appearances looks like Koichi and Mikado in each other's arms. And this stops her in her tracks and leads us into the next chapter. Actually sure does. So 68 is named partner. It is called I'd better not lose in the other. Okay. That's, That's okay. 68 opens up with Koichi uh, like looking like he's kind of shockingly hugging Mikado. Uh, like Mikado looks like she's gone in for the hug and Koichi's like been caught by her or something. Yes. And it almost out- looks like he tripped. Yes, <laughs> but exactly. She's got her eyes closed and his locked it in top and bottom. She's definitely initiated a hug that he was unprepared for. He, he apologizes. Um, yeah, he's and- like, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, he does make it sound like he kind of tripped. He says, you know, I'm still a little wobbly on my feet, so maybe it was that he tripped. But Mikado is totally giving him all the signals of, like, anytime, pal. She's like, I'm, I welcome you with open arms anytime. And, of course, Koichi, Koichi's, um, and he's completely not picking up on any of the signals that Mikado is throwing at him. In fact, Mikado has to go to great lengths to be very explicit with, <laughs> like, with her words to try to communicate to Koichi what she's basically telling him here. <laughs> later on in these chapters yeah it's uh it gets a little crazy because uh she says to him like anyway i mentioned how i'm figuring out what comes next for me my future how i want to live my life i'd like you to think it through with me if you're willing and koichi's like uh you're talking about a job or you know like maybe getting me in at cap's company and she's like no no i I wouldn't come to you about that yeah she's making it sound like she's wanting him to be a consultant yeah (laughs) she does she does put it in kind of a weird way, like, I want to go over my life decisions with you. But she's meaning, like, I want to be with you, and I'm putting that out there. I'm trying to give you the option. You know, she says uh, something more personal about life, about a family, about relationships. And he's like, lovey-dovey stuff. Uh, you know, and so she's going into this whole, like, I don't know, it felt kind of weird, because she's going into this whole uh, rant, sort of, about how, given how she is in life, and who she is, where she's at in her life, she's going to make it or break it. And she feels like, if she's with Koichi, she'll always be successful, because as long as he's by her side, he is so ordinary that she knows she can go anywhere and achieve anything. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know if he should be offended, because it feels like it's almost offensive, you know? Yeah, I struggled with her wording, too, because it felt like... So, some of her phrasing is off to me. She says, the reason I'm choosing you is because as long as I've got someone so ordinary by my side, you know, like you said. But then she finishes that with, you'd make the best partner without a doubt. Almost like, she's just like, I just need stability, and I think you could give it to me. And there's not a whole bunch of attraction talk or affection talk it is only i think you would be good for me pop even gets this place where she lists out these pros and cons you know of of mikado mikado comes with a lot of pros you know for for koichi as far as like mikado over pop which is what which is the list that pop is working on later so you know obviously mikado is bringing a lot to this partnership but the way that she 
propositions him felt so mechanical and not relational at all. It was almost just like, I need you as my security blanket is kind of how I read that. And that didn't strike me as like the best pickup, the, the best pickup phrasing of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I have a couple theories about this because in my head, this doesn't feel like Mikado. Mikado doesn't feel like, like, I don't even remember her really even having some sort of a, like attraction to Koichi. This was just out right. of nowhere. But she mentions here in a few panels, she she kind of goes over this with Koichi and tells him like, how about you give me an answer when I come back for good? You know, just think about it. I just want you to think about it. Because he's immediately like, well, you caught me off guard, but uh, sure, baby. You know, like he's all down for some Mikado. So she's like, no, let's take some time. Like you really think about it. I want you to, to think about this. And he's like, why? <laughs> I mean, and she, she tells him like, well, I know that there's something going on between you and Pop. And I had to take a step back and I'm like, I thought Pop was like in high school and Koichi was like 26, 27, like a good 10 years to a decade older than her. And I honestly thought that Mikado was at least, I don't know, almost a decade older than Koichi. I don't know why I thought that. So it just, all of these felt really weird to me. I'm like, none of these people should really be with any of these people, <laughs> you know? No, I've always uh, got the, the impression that Mikado and Koichi are pretty close in age. Um, with maybe she's a little older than him. Yeah. But um, Pop is just a little younger than Koichi. Um, okay. I, I do think she's still in high school while he's in college, but I don't think the age gap certainly it's like, isn't many years. It's like 18 and 19 or 18 and 20 or something yeah, compared yeah. to, okay. See, I was thinking it was like 16 and 26 and 36 or something. <laughs> like I, I was like, this is just a weird age gap. But my other thought is, is that because Mikado is aware of the fact that there's this whole deal with Pop, she is trying to force them into a relationship or make that decision. She's trying to like, say like she's basically forcing the hand. If that makes any sense. I don't, I don't think she was actually going after Koichi. I think she was trying to force this thing to happen. And if it didn't and it fizzled out, then, you know, she would come back and maybe she has to put up with Koichi that way. But I think she knew that something would come of this. So you think all Mikado's doing is play in matchmaker. I do. Yeah. And all of it is because of the way that she, whenever she walks off, you know, he, he, they, so to explain, she tells Koichi to think about it. And Koichi's like, well, I guess I'll talk to pop, you know? And she's like, well, do it indirectly. And he's like, yeah, sure. Indirectly. Uh, but as Mikado's walking away, she says, I might've shifted this decision onto those two, but however, it turns out in the end, my heart's pounding. So it made it feel like to me that maybe she was aware there could be something between Koichi and uh, Pop, and she's forcing that to happen. And if it doesn't, then she'll take Koichi for what she's got. Even then, that even if what you say is true, which is not how I read it, that still doesn't look good on Mikado, in my opinion. Yeah, it's because weird. Then Koichi just becomes, or then she becomes second place. I don't know. I really didn't like the way that it was framed very much. I wonder um, if it's a translation thing, to be honest with you thing. Like, I wonder if the way she propositioned this or propositioned this to, to Koichi was just translated in such a weird way that didn't make sense to us. Man, I hope so, but I don't think so. I, I think yeah. that this is just a weird writing decision. Um, and maybe it's a Japanese culture thing where marriages are more like partnerships than they are like romances. Maybe that's the thing. Um, Could be. But at the same time, as much trouble as I gave her speech itself, that heart pounding thing, I do think lends itself to uh, that that romance or that attraction, that desire, if nothing else, um, between Mikado and Koichi. Um, but I, I, I think that it's like maybe maybe it's a noble thing that Mikado is like, listen, I want you, but I, I like pop a lot and I don't want to be that girl that comes in and, and, and is Mrs. Steal your man, you know? So That's you true. need to do some evaluating, maybe have this conversation with her and then maybe you and I can continue this conversation, but she still puts a deadline on it. I don't know. It's just strange. It's very contractual. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fine word for that. I think contractual. Yeah. Yeah, it feels that way for sure. It's almost kind of like, hey, clear the air with Pop, and if she's good with it, then I'm good with it kind of deal. And Pop is listening to all of this, and so right. she knows <laughs> that Mikado has told Koichi, hey, have this conversation. And so now we get this series of panels where Koichi is trying to do just that, and Pop is not letting him do it. You know, he's just like, 
you know, I was talking with Mikado the other day and she's like, can't you see I'm busy? And then he's okay later then listen, pop, save it, you know? Um, and then she he doesn't even, he's not able to even initiate the conversation and she's growling at him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I don't, what, why is she putting it off? Um, be, because of amounting pressure, because she realizes that now it's some, this thing that she has kind of harbored secretly. I mean, from the very beginning, we've, we've known that she has had a humongous crush on Koichi since he saved her way back when. Um, she still has this All Might hoodie. In fact, she puts it on at the end of this chapter. Um, she draws a good bit of comfort from that, a good bit of courage from that. She feels a little bit of guilt towards Koichi for making him, uh, possibly costing him his pro hero's license. Uh, so there's a lot of all of that wrapped up in there. None of those things has she ever had a conversation with Koichi about. So maybe she's just feeling like it's all too much too quickly. But she's had all of this time to have any one of these conversations or any number of them. That's true. Well, she's building herself up to it and she envisions herself like, I guess, going to his front doorstep and saying something, calling him an obvious block, oblivious blockhead, uh, you know, which I thought was pretty good. But you're right. At the end of this, she's got her All Might hoodie on and she's talking about all of the things that she has accomplished. And this is when she's got that list of, you know, pros and cons for Mikado and pros for her. She doesn't have any, and Mikado's got, like, a pretty long list. Uh, that's funny, because some of them are the same thing, but uh, she's talking about all of the things that she has accomplished. She says, these past three years, I devoted most of my free time to Naru Fest. That earned me props from tons of people, and I had a lot of fun rehearsing and hanging out with me, you, you, and all of them. But it was Mikado who set the stage for all of that. So she, even when she is thinking about what she's accomplished, she's giving over everything to Mikado. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, you kind of feel bad for her, but you can also see her points, because she's like, well... Mikado put forth all of this effort, and if it hadn't been for her, then it, I wouldn't have been able to do any of those things. And uh, she she starts to kind of reconcile the fact that she did come up with Pop Step all on her own, and that Pop was who was invited to Naru Fest. It wasn't like it was her, so it was her invention that was wanted there, which is a really good thing to realize, I think. Yeah, I thought that it was really cool where she basically asked this question, when was it when was the last time it was all about me? It was all about what I could do and who I was. And she hits rewind on her life back to these early days of um, her saying that she was just this little kid running around cosplaying for fun and standing on ledges with a, with a toy microphone and singing parody songs. And she's a little embarrassed by that, but she also sees something innocent and also powerful and empowering in that where she was her own person. Wasn't, um, wasn't, under anybody else's wing or riding anybody's coattails. She was just doing her own thing. And and so she says that maybe she needs to be in the habit of cheering on herself. Um, and so she says, despite everything I started, I still haven't accomplished a thing. So now I'm going to start cheering for myself and I'd better not lose. And I really, that, I think that's a very powerful statement for her. She is, she, she's kind of form, uh, formulating. She's, she's taking her eye off of that front tire now. Um, she's, she's starting to look towards the future and, and, and trying to figure out what it is, what direction she needs to be traveling in and how best to get there. I mean, she's, she's goal setting, um, she's planning and she is doing all this under her own power, which I think is, again, I think that this is something that we, we have seen, uh, shamefully little of in most of the, my hero material. And that leads us into episode 69, which is called License in what we're reading. Um, and it is called Hero on the Scene in uh, the manga so far, uh, if that wiki is correct. And uh, we pick back up in the next meeting for the next Naru Fest, the finale. I got to say. He misspells finale, um, by the way. It says Naru Fest final. Final. Which, that just seems off. Drop the E on there. It makes more sense. Yeah. I don't often talk about the front covers of chapters, but I really dig this one. It's like Koichi playing oh, DS yeah. with a kid that looks like Ash Ketchum. Like yeah. that looks like a little Pokemon hat. And I really liked this front cover. I thought that was pretty cool. It also looks like he has no damn clue what he's doing. Yeah, like he's never held a DS before. Yeah. And the kid <laughs> is just like, listen, this is a Pokemans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you push this button here. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty great. He does look like what? So we pick back up with this meeting and the managers is he's he's leading this one. Um, everybody else is just kind of in attendance. So he says, so no show in July gives us extra time to prep for one final spectacular during summer break. Uh, so and the people upstairs have apparently already prepared or signed off on this. So now they've got even more time to plan 
their this last hurrah for the group. So the manager ends up asking what they decide or what they've decided from their last meeting to perform for the, the grand finale. And uh, I believe it's me, you, or you that's kind of going over the plan uh, for what they want to do. They basically want to get everyone that's ever performed in Naru Fest together to have one big final song together uh and as she's going on through this pop steps in she's you know apologizing for being late they notice that they're uh, that pop is making a habit of it they even call her out for it they're like hey you've been pretty busy you look pretty wiped out and uh, she says i didn't catch enough z's last night and one of the girls is like uh-huh you've been sneaking around doing something lately like insinuating i guess that she's been getting into something she shouldn't and uh <laughs> pop is like well i don't know about sneaking yeah, because what she's doing is very public, is is what she's not saying, right? Exactly. Um, and the girls offer to help her in some way, or the, the other girl does, the one that's not harassing her. But Pop is is coming into her own. So she says, this is something I got to do on my own for now. Um, and then she quickly changes subject. She says, hey, enough about me. We're here to talk about Naru Fest. So she says, have we decided anything? And we get a scene transition where she's back at her apartment. She puts back on the uh, All Might hoodie that... Um, way back in the past Koichi gave her and uh, she's typing at her computer, presumably song lyrics and uh, she's getting ready for her next show, but she gets interrupted. Well, and it's kind of unique too, because for her next show, she's not dressing up as pop. She's just going out as oh, that's true. her normal self. You know, she's not in the, the get up. And so she's trying to perform and it's like, she can't get anybody to even pay attention. And then she's attacked by who I am going to say looks like Kingdom Hearts characters. It looks like Sora and like if Donald <laughs> and Goofy were made into humans or something. He does uh, a bit. But the, the these guys immediately are like, yo, what you up to? Singing? Oh, yeah, well, you need a permit for that. Like, you got to have a permit from me. So they're bullying up, trying to trying to get some money out of her. And the manager from the Naru Fest stuff shows up and is like, oh, pardon me, excuse me, coming through. Uh, I'm her manager. Sorry, but I'm responsible for this. It's my fault. You can bring any issues to me. Uh, and they're like, all the bullies are like, who the hell is this guy? Like, what do they, does he think we care who he is? We'll beat him up too. And it's just enough time for the cops to show up and kind of keep everybody from hurting each other. Uh, I would have loved to have seen these guys quirks though, you know? Well, you're assuming that they have them. That's I mean, true. They, they, they could be part of that 20% and are just jerks. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Maybe that would be why they were jerks. Like, I, I feel like I would be pretty, oh, like, yeah. kind of a jerk to people if I, if I was part of that minority. Absolutely. Like, if I lived in a world of quirks and I didn't have one, I'd be pretty pissed off. Yeah. I mean, but would you rather have no quirk or have, like, a really potentially crappy quirk? Like, like crappy a, quirk. I don't care. Really? Like, yeah. <laughs> like no, Teruos, you would just be an eel and be like, yes, I've, I've come sure. into my quirk. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather, I just, I think I'd rather have a quirk than not have one. Man, I, that's a tough question for me because we've seen some pretty garbage quirks. I mean, we opinion. have. Yeah. But I mean, it's not like we've seen anything that's been like completely like would just ruin your life. I mean, being an eel permanently might a little bit. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Something to think about. You might have less responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, you could be like Teruo, who's working for the Hoda Brothers in his cat cafe slash rehab clinic. But that's neither here nor there. Or maybe it's just a conversation for the Discord. Why don't you hop into the Discord and let us know if you'd rather have no quirk or even a garbage quirk, and then let us know which quirk that you've seen in My Hero proper or in Vigilantes that you're like, this isn't a great quirk, but I would still take it over nothing. I think that would be an interesting question. To that, ask. that is an interesting one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but anyway, so the this manager guy saves the day. He's able to keep the cops, uh, or keep the cop or the the bullies at bay just long enough for the cops to show up and save everybody. And then he decides to take Pop to a little cafe and uh, talk about her solo project. Yeah, uh, and he's like, "Well, this is your solo project that you mentioned." So apparently, she had maybe mentioned this offhand at some point, and she's like. Again, she's taking her eye off that front tire. She says, "Well, you know, Narufes is ending, so I figured I need to start thinking about what comes next." And he starts feeling overly guilty for Marukane's, you know, cutting off of the Naru Fest. Um, and he's he's being overly apologetic about all that. And she is basically saying, it's OK. You know, in the past, I've composed some songs. I've worked with the twins. I've written some lyrics. Um, so, you know, I was thinking maybe I should just give this shot on my own. And, you know, he's like, you know what? Um, you know, there there are ways that the, the company that Naru Fest could still kind of help out with this or I could still help out with this. But, you know, maybe you wouldn't have any faith in me in that particular 
role be given, I guess, his past performance or his current performance at Marukane. And my favorite part about maybe all of these chapters is the fact that she calls him Mr. Manager because it reminds me of uh, Arrested Development. Did you ever watch that show? No, I've never seen that show. Oh my God, it's so great. Um, you need to watch all of it as fast as you can um, okay. because there's there's an episode where the dad basically tells the son who has been like basically like a cashier in a banana stand and he says that he's promoted him to manager and so his son is like yes mr manager and the dad's like no no just manager (laughs) (laughs) um uh, because the guy anyway it's a thing it's a thing mr manager is pretty 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 great that's Uh, uh, a that's jason bateman isn't it it is yeah i like michael sarah it that show is full of i mean it's it's highbrow until like it's it's top shelf not highbrow it's top shelf until maybe midway through the third season and then after that still funny but not as good okay all right but he ends up asking to see if he can listen to some of these songs. And so she's showing him the lyrics and eventually he dons a pair of earbuds and is listening to these things. And he has some mega reactions to this stuff as pop is like, what am I even doing? I'm putting myself out there. This is, she's feeling very vulnerable. This dude is super loving all of it. Yeah. He goes from talking about how it's like a song about heartbreak and then it turns into like this really interesting rock melody. And I mean, he's going on and on about how much he loves it and how different and unique it is. And then he just starts crying. He's crying like a baby. (laughs) This next panel is really funny because he is just sobbing and she's like, what in the world? Uh, Namura, are you okay? And he goes, sorry, sorry. I just, uh, this is amazing. Like, you know, it's a song about being uh, tenacious, right? And uh, he, he says that the whole world needs to hear her music. That, like, it is absolutely imperative that the world hears this. And that's when he decides to say, like, well, what if, uh, what if I become your second producer? I, I'm going to help make this happen. I'm going to be your number one fan. Yeah, I love his description of her lyrics, too, because I feel like it's a good window into where Pop is right now. Because he's reading these, he's like, in the first half, the girl is singing about the pain of heartbreak. But then when the key change hits, there's some great energy going on. And now he starts quoting these lyrics. Can't let it end this way. Having nothing, being nothing at all. Need to shine bright for my for a sec. Dig my claws across his heart. Being obstinate like this, he says, finding that courage. It's something anyone can relate to, even outside of love. And I was like, dang, he is like smashing the nail on the head as far as where Pop is. Because... Pop has hit that nail on the head. I mean, this is her expressing herself and verbalizing what it is that she's going through in this kind of metamorphosis that she's in the midst of right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would agree. And she at first is kind of like, well, you know, last time I did something like this, it was basically just me riding the coattails of Mikado. I don't want to end up doing that again. And that this is where he's like, well, I mean, you know, don't you kind of have to rely on other people at some times to be able to be your best? Like, why can't we work together? Uh, He says, I don't think that means you got to do it all by your lonesome going forward. And, uh, you know, I think this really kind of changes her mind about this. And she's like, okay, yeah, like, let's do it. Yeah, so they they seem amenable to the idea and they begin uh, walking uh, together on the street. They bump back into, um, I'm going to call him Cloud from Final Fantasy, especially because he has a giant sword necklace. Yeah, he looks like Cloud. He looks like Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, but it's it's definitely supposed to be Cloud with the buster sword. The guy yeah. to the right is Leon from uh, the eighth game, and the guy to the left is supposed to be, I think that is the main character from the ninth game, but I don't remember what his name is. I oh, gotcha. I haven't really played any Final yeah. Fantasy, but this, I do this recognize looks like, Cloud. This looks like seven, eight, nine's main characters, basically. Okay. But they they get right up in the manager's face, and he's like, you know, it's all your fault the cops harassed us, but, you know, I don't see any cops around here now. This could get ugly. Um, so run away when you see an opening is the manager telling Pop to get out of there, which is ironic. Uh, but uh, the, the guy, Cloud, goes on, goes on the assault. Pop Step springs straight up because, you know, she's Pop Step. She she does what Pop Step does. She she gets high and then she takes out her phone um, <laughs> to call the cops or to video, um, you know, video record what's going on. And Namura, the the manager, springs into action, man. He he dodges this punch. He managed to get this guy in an arm lock. And he says, listen, how about we quit picking fights? I'm a hero. So you got to promise me. And he pulls out what is a hero's license. Um, and these guys are mulling it over, which I thought was really funny. And they're like, we thought you worked at a, at a department store. And he's like, get that back. Um, it's very important. Um, so now we know that this guy is a licensed hero. Which I did not see that coming at all. Me neither. 
And that will actually lead us into episode 70, our final of this week, which is entitled Nomura in what we're reading and True Self in uh, what could be the production manga, according to the wiki. I like True Self better than Nomura. Me too. But it starts off with Pop making the recommendation to Koichi that they should get their licenses, their hero licenses. And Pop, or not Pop, but uh, Koichi is kind of like, where is this coming from? And she admits, like, well, it's coming from the Naru Fest manager. Uh, he gave me the idea since he has one. And I, I think more than likely, Koichi's like, so he's got a, a license and he just sits at a desk in an office all day? And what a weirdo. Like, why would you get your license and not be a hero? And she explains that he didn't get his license to make money. It's just so that he can leap into action whenever there's trouble, which doesn't sound like how those licenses work to me. I mean, I don't know. I thought that if you got your hero license, you kind of had to be part of an agency and be active in the community. It didn't seem like it was something you got, like you could just use your powers whenever to save people. It felt like you needed to be a little bit more trained in that. But hey, what do I know? Well, I thought about that too, but then I thought that maybe it was more... The way that they framed it in this is more like my concealed carry permit. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. doesn't mean that I just run around brandishing my gun or that um, I'm immediately a cop, but it does give me you know, the, the ability to carry, um, not, not even the ability to use it, which is a, a difference. Um, but it, it does at least allow me to carry laws are weird in different States, but yeah, that's kind of how I equivocated there. But I still like that pop is pushing Koichi to get this license because I still think that she's, uh, feeling a little bit guilty for being the reason why he might not have gotten it in the first place. Could be. Yeah. I mean, she is, I guess the reason that, uh, he, he missed, his, missed test. his test, so uh but he he doesn't he's not really all that interested. He's like, uh no, nah, that sounds tough. <laughs> yeah, which I think I thought was weird. I thought that he would really like this idea, um, that he would be all about that. Uh where he could continue doing his his job job, but still be able to intervene when he wanted to and do so legally, like above the bar. Um I thought that that would appeal to him more than it appears to have. Yeah, I know. I thought it was kind of weird that he's so willingly ready to just drop the mantle. But, yeah. I mean, it appears that that's what he's done. Uh, but well, anyways, she, you know, she is kind of frustrated with him because he asks her, like, why are you so interested in what I do? And she's like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm not. And, uh, you know, she starts to get up and walk off. And Koichi's like, oh, hey, by the way, speaking of the future. And she shuts him down again and runs off. But this time she turns around and she says, I promise I'll hear you out for real later. You just got to wait a little longer. Yep. And she, uh, she runs out, she meets up with Nomura. They are, they're setting up for her first public performance. Um, since the two of them have coupled together anyway. Um, and there's this awesome panel where she's got the mic stand and she's doubled over singing into it. And it has catch, it catches everybody's attention earlier in a similar panel. Nobody gave her, you know, a, a sideways glance, but now she's commanding the attention of everybody in, uh, in her proximity. Um, then we zoom to another uh, meeting for the grand finale. This time he spells it right on the board. Oh, he does. Someone give him a little, uh, little spelling tutorial he there. He's talking about him. <laughs> That's what it was. Uh, but he's telling the girls to make sure to contact the original Feather Hats members before our next meeting. Okay, you know, trying to get everyone ready. Uh, and Pop is actually the one that's heading out early this time around. She says, sorry, but I've got somewhere to be. Give me a call if something comes up, though. And she's leaving. And then the manager also turns around and says, I've also got a job to do. Just be sure to lock up when you leave. And they both leave. And they are, I guess, going out and having these performances, you know, cutting the meeting short and leaving to go perform. So it seems like a couple days have gone by or maybe even a couple weeks where they have spent time out and about, like, getting an audience they're they're building relationships with people on the street there are panels of them you know just out there singing and having a good time and people paying attention and stopping and watching and things like that and ultimately it ends with them in a bar uh celebrating their success over the past couple of weeks and the the amazing success that they had that day yeah and and right before we end up in the bar we see pop expressing that this has been so much fun i mean she's she's finally found something again that she is enjoying that is fulfilling and, and that's kind of been her drive uh they sit down to drinks uh, it turns out that namura ordered two um or one virgin and one alcoholic and he gave the alcoholic one to uh pop step but she smells that it's alcoholic and they trade um i don't know if that was intentional given them what we what we learn a little bit later yeah on. i'm not um, sure either it's it was a weird panel for it to have just been thrown in there yeah 
But um, anyway, they they swap. Uh, it's no big deal. And then Cloud Strife uh, rolls back up, and Pop is initially a little cringy about them being on the scene, but they've just come over to to basically say, "Hey, good job." You know, we Nomura's like we talked it about. Uh, we talked it over after the fight the other day, and now we're best friends. You know, and they're like, "See you around, Rock, and and keep doing your thing, girl." And and she hears that as. Well, number one, she takes a little bit of uh, curiosity into why they call him Rock. And he says, since I'm Roku Nomura, one rockin' dude. She just calls him weird after that. And uh, he says, you know, on a more serious note, as we've talked about for four chapters, Marukani's events department is shutting down. Things things couldn't be worse, I know. But since the department's only, uh, only got started to handle Naru Fest, they're saying there's no more reason to keep it running. Not sure where we'll end up next. Um, but he's kind of getting to a place of his own courage. And since he doesn't have an all might hoodie around, he just starts chugging alcohol <laughs> to build up the courage to say what he wants to say. So he says, all right, I mean, what the hell? So many regrets. Um, but he's, he's definitely tipsy and, and pops up even calls him a lightweight. Um, but he stops her as they're walking home and he says, listen, I'm not going to give up. I might be losing my job, but I'll be your producers, yours and yours alone. Cause I'm your biggest fan. So whatever can I do for you? And she's like, well, thank you, really, uh, but I'll, I'll be okay. I'm still searching for what it is I can do exactly. And she says, besides, there's only one person who I wanted to have hear these songs. And if, I love this. Yeah, he's confused. He's like, huh? You mean the, the guy you talk about in the lyrics? And she says, nope, the one who needed to hear it all was me. And she says she's finally ready to tell herself or tell myself, you're amazing. You're capable. You know, she says, thanks for everything today. Uh, the courage you gave me, I I'm going to put it to good use. You'll see. And she boings off, uh, as the little onomatopoeia says in the comic here. And this, <laughs> the this poor guy, at first I was like, man, he just got dumped kind of. Like he's standing there in the what almost looks like it could be the rain. And uh, Cloud Strife and his, his buddies roll up. And uh, they, they say, sounded like a couple uh, drunks making a racket. Some hero you are. Pull it together, dude. And even he says, I think I just got dumped. And they're kind of <laughs> playing along. You know, it seems like they're having a good time. Uh, he says, I wanted her to like me. So I put on this whole act, pretended to be a grown up and a good person even. And the, the other guys are like, we've all been there. Cheer up, bud. Why don't you show her your true color is winner over that way? And he says, you couldn't be more right. And we get this like down angle up to his face. So it's from below him. And we see what I think to be the scar on Six's face. This guy has been six the whole freaking time. I had no idea. This really caught me off guard. Me too. I, I assume he's a really good makeup artist because the scar is non-existent anytime before this in the comics. And there's not like a panel that shows him kind of wiping it, wiping away makeup to kind of that that might have been obscuring it. Nothing. You know, like, yeah, um, it's just there. Did you ever see Curse of Chucky? Yes. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that scene in the attic, you know, where she sees a little bit of a smudge and she starts pulling away at it and it reveals that scar. We we get nothing like that. Instead, it's just ta-da, six. Yeah. <laughs> like out of literally out of nowhere. <laughs> and he says, "All right, don't need you guys anymore." And apparently kills the three of them. I mean, there's like blood whooshing everywhere, so yeah, it happens all. It all happens very quickly, but we catch back up with with Pop and Koichi, and she's building up that courage. I'm amazing. I'm capable. I can handle anything. She's she's cheering herself on like she said that she w would, and so she says, "Can we talk?" And he says, "Sure, but hang on a sec." And he's putting on this tie, and he says, "Check it out. A battle ready. I'm battle ready for my next interview." Mikado gave it to me, and that totally stumps her. Yeah, and, and <laughs> all that courage that she had just built up, gone, gone with a gift. Um. And she storms off and Koichi doesn't know what to do. He goes out looking for her, but she's long gone. And we, we catch up with her and she's in the All Might hoodie under the covers in her apartment. And she's she's doing that phone call uh, to the to the guy that she just dumped effectively saying she's sorry for rushing off like an idiot. She says, I think I need you to be here for me, which is exactly what Six wants to hear. And so he's standing basically in in the the middle of a pile of bodies or body parts. And he's like, okay, relax, pop. I'm not sure what happened, but you're going to be fine because I'm your fan and I'm always on your side. Man, this and that guy. Is the end of chapter 70. That was a crazy ending. Like I wasn't a huge fan of the, the four chapters. They, they were, they just weren't that high octane that we normally look for, you know, in this, in the vigilantes, uh, it was kind of easier going, but then this ended on a high note. And I was like, what is going on? Like how did six get by with this? You know, this is crazy. 
I'm curious to see what his ends are. Yeah. Because I don't know that I have them identified right now. Like, what does he want specifically with Pop? I think he's trying to get to Koichi. I feel like he's pissed that Koichi kept him from taking down the uh, the big event that we... I can't remember what it was called. It was based off, like, the needle the, the or whatever. The sky egg. The sky egg, thank you. I think he knows that Koichi was involved in that, and if it hadn't been for Koichi, there's a really good chance that Captain Celebrity wouldn't have saved the day. So I think he's trying to get mm. revenge. I really do. I I kind of hope it's more than that. That seems a little petty for a repeat villain. Yeah, if that makes some sense. But I also thought I he know. was dead. I, like I thought that. Yeah, I thought yeah. that uh, Knuckle Duster had this guy in his in his custody at least. Because the last yeah, time well, we saw Six, his legs were like blown off with a shotgun. Yeah, but we also knew that he had some regenerative. Um, capabilities. That's fair, but I mean, we also were, at least I was under the impression that Knuckle Duster had him, like he was in custody, so he's escaped at the least. See, I thought the last time that we saw that that particular battlefield, it was very inconclusive about what how it had actually finished. Remember the detectives were on the scene, and they were taking blood samples, but there were no bodies? Yeah, that's fair, See, but that's why I assumed that, like, Knuckle Duster had been able to take this body with him, but I guess if that had been the case, then he would have handed him over to the authorities. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Knuckle Duster is a vigilante at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm curious to see where it goes. I'm very curious about what it is that he wants specifically from Pop. Yeah. And he couldn't have chosen, like, a worse time. She's just getting to a place where she's she's about to define who she is apart from any other person and now she becomes extremely dependent upon somebody at the same time well with this this, uh this this desperate phone call to him in the middle of the night after having her heart broken you know and this kind of reveal makes you wonder how much of it he orchestrated from the beginning i mean he could have orchestrated the downfall of the naru fest he could have been the one that told the uppers like hey listen you know this just isn't drawing a crowd we just need to cancel it so that way he could isolate pop he would give her that reason to take that leap forward and then become her manager and prop her up just to be able to do this kind of thing i mean he could have been orchestrating this from the get-go yeah, to make her a dependent upon him for some reason exactly. to get into her psyche. You not know? even just good graces, but get into her her life in a, in a way that he has a very tremendous amount of access to her for sure, and and that she is a lot of what obvi- what is obvious obviously now a lot of dis- misplaced trust in him. Yes, yeah, she's got someone she thinks she can rely on. Well, you know. I know that they weren't as as high octane, like you said, as as we in, as we typically like. But I'd still stand by the fact that this was extremely good characterization of and for Pop. Yes. Even with this kind of like, it's not even a heel turn at the end. It's just, um, it, it's just a development in Pop's development, and I'm sure that it will lead to future Pop development, which is. I'm for that. Me too. Again, like like we've talked about at the top, um, not many females in this universe have gotten this much attention and care to who they are, who they want to be. Um, we get little little tastes of it in other characters, but Pop is getting the massive lion's share of what's going on in Vigilantes, and I think that that's something to be celebrated. Yeah, I dig it. I like I like getting to see a little bit more of Pop. Like I said, it's not my high octane that I like with all the fighting and everything, but. This is good storytelling at its core. Yeah, and the other thing is, as much as you may dislike these four chapters, they effectively, or at least this last one, effectively sets us up to be pretty excited about the next four. Absolutely, yeah. When I read this last like last two or three panels, I was kind of on the edge of my seat. Like, who is this guy? What's going on? Uh, but Well, we won't get to the next four chapters for another couple of weeks, but... In the meantime, um, this week's segment is going to come by way of a conversation that broke out in our Discord, a very large conversation, actually, with many voices involved. Um, th- earlier this week, I had both tweeted uh, from our Twitter account and also posted in the Discord a meme that said, characters who don't know each other but would be best friends. And I said, okay, let's talk about my hero characters that would get along with somebody who they have never met. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be uh, restricted to my hero. So it doesn't have to be... Um, so for instance, one of the, one of the options was Najire and Kami, um, that they've never met, but if they did, they might be besties. So I said, you know, you don't have to keep it in the, my hero world. Let's, let's break out of the franchise. So I thought, Adam, um, I know that you brought some tonight that, uh, you didn't get around to sharing in the discord, but I thought I would run through some of the ones that were shared 
in the Discord and some of the reasons that were given and get your reaction to them. And then you could share yours at the end. That sound good? That sounds great. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So some of the ones that we'll get out of the way right at the beginning were pretty obvious ones that um, pairings that were this My Hero character would get along with this character from another franchise because the My Hero character was based on this other one. Like All Might and Superman would be chummy. Um, was one that Jet in the Discord recommended, rightfully so. Koichi and Spider-Man for the same reason, uh, and same with Twice and Deadpool. Yeah, those um, all make a lot of sense. Yeah, um, a couple of My Hero characters that got paired with Naruto characters. Um, so I'll ask you this, I'll ask you these in questions. Who do you think from Naruto would get along best with Aizawa? I would go Kakashi, but only because that's who I was thinking of. Ah, see, I I had Kakashi in mind too, but I also think Shikamaru has more of Aizawa's vibe. I can see that. What about Asume? I can see Asume as well. Yeah, maybe a bit. But Aizawa and Shikamaru, you know, Shikamaru's always just like, uh, you know, this is so tedious. What a what <laughs> yeah. a drag. Yep, yep. I feel like that's got Aizawa all over. Oh, it totally does. Yeah, he doesn't ever want to do anything. Like I think uh, they even tell him in the show, like you could be uh, the the great Hokage, but it would probably be too much of a hassle for you. Yeah. <laughs> What a drag, he keeps saying. <laughs> um, Midori and Naruto, I think, would get along fairly well. Oh, yeah. they're, they're both highly self-motivated. Um, they're always applying themselves in new ways. And, and in their, they, they take direction well, which I think is a good quality in, in a protagonist in particular. I think they would piss each other off, too, though, because like Midoriya is very, very aware of of like how things work like he's very mechanical he wants to know how things work he wants to to study things and be like on top of everything naruto is like uh maybe not the sharpest pencil in the box you know what i mean like so (laughs) i could just see them kind of pissing each other off at the same time that's true they would this much is true they would both get into a lot of trouble together oh yeah for sure for rushing into things um from dragon ball I paired Mineta and Roshi for obvious pervy reasons. They can hang out on the island all day long. It would be like, basically, like, Mineta could be the uh, the ham character, uh, Oolong. Oolong, yeah. yeah. Ham but character. But there aren't the- enough women on that island for poor Mineta. <sighs> I don't know if the magazines would be enough for him. He's more hands-on, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. I mean, Roshi gets a handsy, but Mineta is like, where are the girls? Not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, but I do think the two of them would get along splendidly in their in their pervy pursuits. I also paired, and this is maybe one of my favorite pairings. Um, I put Goku and Rappa together. What? You remember Rappa? One yeah. Of the, uh, the Saikai? So uh, one of the bullets. Here's why. Okay. Rappa was just looking for a good fight. Okay. And on top of that, he was very honorable in the midst of and after that fight towards Kirishima. So I don't know why, but I, I think that those qualities would put, I think Goku and Rappa would totally vibe. I mean, they would fight, of course, but it would be, it would be very, um, sportsmanlike, I think, between them. That's interesting. So I had Mirio and Goku, personally. Really? Yeah, because I mean, they're, they're both that gung-ho, always huge smile on their face. You know what I mean? Like, very happy. They, I, I'm ignoring the fighting aspect they have similar personalities hmm. kind of kind of dim-witted a little bit you know yeah i could see that too i uh i have a couple different pairings from our discord uh, for batman actually and none of them are knuckle duster really okay yeah so jet in the discord paired sir night eye and batman i would presume he didn't really give any reasons but possibly because of the detective angle i like that, they that. Share. yeah that's kind of a that's i feel like that's a batman that's been lost to time like the detective batman has kind of been lost it feels like yeah so maybe the detective agency bit is where uh, jet saw that overlap i'm sure there's more to it than that as well um lj hollywood uh aka luke from hero notes is uh, a member of our discord too J- uh, jumps in and, and talks and he put Tokoyami and Batman together as he called them the Darkness Bros. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Which was pretty good. Uh, then we have a handful of Marvel pairings here. Uh, Knuckle Duster and Wolverine um, from Tomac. He says that uh, those two would just be chumming it up at a bar drinking beer somewhere, I which I totally that. agree with. Yep, absolutely. And then Oreo, number, uh, another member of the Discord, said that Kirishima and Wolverine would get along splendidly 
and he he kind of meant that Kirishima would would worship Wolverine's manliness. I don't know necessarily that he meant that Wolverine was gonna reciprocate uh, towards Kirishima. So maybe it's not like a these two would be best friends so much as Kirishima would be all about all things Wolverine <laughs> and his manliness. I could I could definitely see that though, especially with how we know he loves Red Riot and everything. Like yeah. yeah. And then uh, this was a really neat pairing. This one, um, I needed a little bit more conversation from uh, from Striker E6 in our Discord. And he put Deku and Kamala Khan, a.k.a. Miss Marvel, together. And I asked him why, because I'm not super familiar with Kamala Khan. Uh, but he said it's because Kamala Khan is a big fan of superheroes, yes. too. And so they would yeah. have very neat conversations about that. Um, that would be a shared interest. And I really liked that pairing after he explained that. That's actually my favorite pairing of the ones that you've said so far, I think. Just for that thing. I mean, that they're very, very similar characters. She is huge into the Avengers and like all of the other superheroes. So that's awesome. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's that's a great pairing. And then the last one that I'll share from the Discord uh, is also from Tonic. And he put Luffy and Yaorashi together. I could Luffy see that. of One Piece fame. I'm not a, I don't know a lot about One Piece. I've watched maybe like 25, 30-ish episodes, but I know enough to see that those two could be friends. That is, uh, you know, 23 plus episodes more than I watched because I only <laughs> ever watched two when we did the pilot. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because uh, we were going to do One Piece, <laughs> but then we were like, well, we, we'd be recording a podcast for the next 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So uh, what were some of the pairings you came up with? Uh, so the one that I keep coming back to in my mind, and I don't have an explanation for it at all, but I can just picture it, would be Cement Toss and Kermit, the frog. Is it, I mean, do they, is it because they kind of, like, Cement Toss kind of looks like a puppet? I, no, I don't know why. I could just see them hanging out, being friends, like doing things <laughs> and adventuring. Uh, so yeah, right. there's that one. Uh, the other one, and I, another one, I'm not sure really why, but I could see Midnight and Fran Dresser hanging out. See, that one makes a little bit more sense. They kind of have a similar look to them, so maybe they yeah. could like, I don't know, hang out and talk looks like fashion design or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hannah, my wife, came up with a great one. She said Deku and Moaning Myrtle, uh, because all they do is cry. So I thought that was funny. Uh, that's a good <laughs> callback to us. Keep calm. Uh, Midori the crying his kid ever yes yes it's been a while since we've been able to say that we've been in vigilante so long we haven't said that in entirely too long that's true it's good that's good true call back there hannah um i had like uh, i also thought nezu and kermit the frog would be kind of nice but i kind of see nezu and groot from uh marvel so why i don't know i could just because he's kind of like a nicer version of rocket raccoon maybe <laughs> like a, right. a less devious that we're aware of version of rocket raccoon i guess i don't know um, for some reason I was thinking of, uh, <laughs> I, for some reason I'm also thinking of Kaminari and Yamcha being really good friends just because I feel like they're always kind of left out. If that makes sense. That one makes some sense. Yeah. You put Yamcha and Yaorashi together, but you specified, um, Dragon Ball Yamcha, not DBZ Yamcha. Yeah. Cause Dragon Ball Yamcha is actually like a really prominent character. Dragon Ball Z Yamcha is just kind of the like scapegoat for when they need to kill somebody or make a funny joke. Yeah. Or have the most ballingest baseball episode of all time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Top two episodes of the entirety of the it, Dragon Ball Super anime. Is it cheating for him to be playing sports professionally? Like, they couldn't test him for drugs. You know, like, it, no. I mean, I don't know. I feel like he has... I feel like he holds back quite a bit. He has to, right? I like, mean, he's he's insanely strong. I mean, he could hit a baseball several cities away, I would imagine. But see, this this is where, like you get into the weird specifics of strength in that series, particularly because you have someone like Yamcha who compared to the average humans are like a God. Like, I mean, he is so strong. It's insane. And then you have Krillin who is also just a freaking human, but is like light years ahead of Yamcha. So like the power scaling in that series is so strange to me sometimes. <laughs> but I always just assume that when Yamcha played baseball, I mean, he was playing to a higher level than everybody else, but he wasn't playing to his highest level, if that made some sense. Yeah, and it makes sense because he's also kind of like a washed up surfer drunk. So like he wouldn't <laughs> want to have to put that much effort into it. That's why he's not as good as Krillin because he stopped training and he stopped caring, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this show's about my hero academia, not Dragon Ball. <laughs> Occasionally it is. <laughs> I have a platform. Occasionally I'm going to use a it. Dragon Ball Z podcast. Uh, my last uh, favorite though, um, and I thought this one was really great, and it may not be one that you're aware of, but maybe some of our other listeners will. Uh, there's another podcast I'm in named Rocks and Rune Lords, and Hannah plays a character named Poe that is similar to Sue. And so I can see Sue yeah. and that character hanging out. 
that would be fun. Ha- did Hannah sign off on that pairing? She did. She loved that pairing, actually. Yeah, so. I, I bet she would. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a good pairing too. And if you're not listening to Rocks and Rune Lords, um, they are also a podcast on the Back Patio Network, um, and you can find them. Actually, you might be able to find them on the links that we've pinned on our twitter if you're following us there and if you're on our discord all you have to do is look for the right channels on the left yep all of ourselves also on backpationetwork.com as well that's right well that's going to be enough for this episode uh we <laughs> we probably went a little long but uh you know surprisingly we had a lot to say about four chapters that uh, before we began recording we weren't sure we were going to talk that much about yeah i thought we'd have like a 20 minute episode and here we are at an hour and 20 minutes almost for recording so <laughs> yeah we're just uh we're just a couple of gabby guys when it comes to this lovey-dovey stuff uh you know we, it we, we love we love that we love that drama who knows maybe we'll get into like ronma one half or something afterwards oh yes absolutely is that the one where the the person sneezes and they turn into like a different character like a panda, a panda or something like, like yeah and then i think if they sneeze again they or turn a into a girl yeah. yeah 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 or maybe it's like I if they get in water read, like, yeah i think i only read like one of those when i was in junior high It'd be like um, if i don't know why that title leapt to my mind but i do know that it's like a giant love triangle or manga i think of some kind yeah so. it's like if my hero academia was going to be you know produced by the cw that's what we're going to start reviewing <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah we've we've got a we've got to hit stop on recording here, uh, here soon yes <laughs> everyone have a great week it's been a lot of fun talking to my hero with you guys see you guys podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.